Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is photographer Anastasia Samoylova. Anna will be speaking at the Catchlight Visual Storytelling Summit for 2023 on April 29th. And the theme of this year's summit is The Change We Want to See which will emphasize the unique power of photography, visual journalism, and creative practices to drive social impact. Anna will be talking about her book, Flood Zone, published by Steidl, along with photographer Rafael Vilela, who will be on the show following Anna. Uh, their panel is titled Picturing New Frontiers, Environmental Storytelling. Anna and I talk about how she went from photography to environmental design and back to photography, and how her experiences growing up in Russia and living in Florida shapes her work and how she thinks about art and activism. So the 2023 Catchlight Visual Storytelling Summit will be in San Francisco, and you can visit catchlight.io to register for the summit. But before we get to the episode, this podcast is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Begin building your dream photo book library today at charcoalbookclub.com. So let me thank Mertil Bover and Elodie Malier-Storm for allowing me to talk to these great guests they have at the Visual Storytelling Summit. I've been interested in Anna's work for some time now, and so I was pretty thrilled when Anna said yes to being a guest on the show. So, of course, we will talk about the summit and we will talk about Anna's work, including her ideas about beauty and how that can be a useful tool in uniting people when it comes to having conversations about the environment and climate change in our very politically polarized environment. And let me just say on a quick note, if you've been hearing me gasping for air a little bit, it's because I have a terrible sinus infection. So I apologize for those stray noises you might be hearing in your headphones or in your car. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. And we will talk soon. Hi, Anna. Thank you uh, so much for doing this. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it is my pleasure. I've wanted to have you on my show for for a while now. It just so happens that your appearance on the show coincides with the Catchlight Visual Storytelling Summit. The Catchlight Summit is a is an annual event, and Elodie Malier Storm was a guest on the show a, a while back, and and we so we did talk about what this summit is all about and what Catchlight is all about. What uh, what is your connection to Catchlight? You're going to be speaking at the summit, uh, that's April 29th in San Francisco. Yes, that's correct. I was invited to speak there by Elizabeth, and uh, I'm speaking with Rafael Villela, so it's a duo presentation. That's right. Yeah, I'm very excited to um, to share the podium with Rafael. I think this would be two very different and complementary perspectives on um, some similar issues. Yeah, the, the summit is called The Change We Want to See, and your your work that involves uh, the environmental impacts of uh, climate change and uh, development, I, I imagine that's why you were invited and what you'll be speaking about. Yes, it was um, in part to reflect on my observations living here in Florida, just to give you a little bit mm-hmm. of a just to paint you a picture of what I'm looking at right now out of my window while we speak is, oh. <laughs> is that a demolition of a hotel that was a grand hotel damaged by a hurricane and then a fire erupted. Anyhow, uh, it's oh, wow. being demolished as we speak and it's been months of that and I can 
now see very clearly the salt water that's coming out straight from where the foundation used to be. You know, so we are here in Miami Beach, uh, three to four feet above water, um, and it's right there, just under underneath those um, excavators. And that's incredible. You were you also, I think, live on the same block as the Surfside condo collapse. Is that right? Yeah, it's a couple li- blocks north of me on the same street on mm, Collins okay. Avenue. So this is my usual, you know, tracks. Right. And so calling yourself a, a witness to these things is, is no joke. You really are seeing this as it happens. Uh, and and the, you know, the erosion, the incursion of, of the saltwater Miami and you know, Miami has become a real focal point of climate change and the effects of rising sea levels. And I want to talk about your book, Flood Zone, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. Uh, also, um, I did forget to mention, Rafael Vilela will be on the show as well. He'll be following your episode. Oh, excellent. So it'll be coming out closely together. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I know you've answered these questions uh, a million times. So I will try not to ask you things I already know. (laughs) But you were born in Russia in 1984. And that was very close to the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And I know you've spoken about your grandfather working in on a communal farm when there still was a Soviet Union and, and socialism. And that you know, there was this idea that there would be this utopian society. And I'm wondering if that dissolution of both the idea and the Soviet Union was an influence on the way you photograph, on the way you see the world. Yeah, thank you for that question. Of course, for um, obvious reasons, it's difficult for me to talk about Russia right now, having not seen my parents for two years Oh, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Inability I'm sorry. to yeah. travel, and of course, um, myself and my family—that includes you know, my, my husband and my son—we can't quite travel over there. It's simply dangerous because we might not be allowed back in, right. and there's a mandatory draft going on right now, so we can't even send our son. Um, but back to your question. Russia is not new to propaganda, and what's going on right now is, of course, a result of some unresolved issues that have always been there mm-hmm. and propaganda feels to be at the at the epicenter of it all so even in right. the 90s uh we were you know we is a is a broad statement but for the most part that mm-hmm. my generation you know what i think it's called geriatric millennial <laughs> i think that is the term <laughs> <laughs> But we were. Oh, wait. So th- I, I think that makes me a geriatric Gen oh, X. Dear. <laughs> so we were always highly skeptical of images and we were questioning the image. You know, it never felt quite democratic. It felt mm-hmm. um, state controlled. There was always an agenda behind images, including the socialist realism propaganda I grew up with that was e- extremely mm. colorful. And actually, I employ that language quite a bit, even in my. You know, I'm a face thesis project, and from then on, color palette is important. Of course, the the goal was to immediately communicate some key concepts to the audience that might not be literate in the regions in oh. Russia. So the language had to be very obvious and um, uh, accessible by a very wide audience. So these are some of the mm-hmm. strategies that might have carried over in in my practice growing up there yeah there's family history that's 
quite opaque and I know traumatic, including my grandfather, who it turned out was actually a war hero and was in the Battle of Berlin. And yet that didn't prevent mm. them from uh, he was a journalist. Uh, but of course, there's mandatory draft. So he had to go to Berlin. Uh, from um, imprisoning him later on. So he had to be bailed out of prison for simply refusing to propagate. Wow. And it was some agricultural propaganda of the moment, you know, propaganda du jour, mm-hmm. if, you, if you want. Um, yeah. It was always <laughs> one type or another. So with that said, I always questioned the image, especially photorealistic or photographic image. So my work uh, is always highly analytical of the existing images. It's never straight up documentary, even though the approach is very much lyrical documentaries is what I do now. Mm-hmm. But I come from also years of, um, stu- of collage practice, and that's ongoing for me. I see most spaces as um, sort of flattened uh, pers- through a flattened perspective. So a lot of my images appear mm. to look like collages, even if they're completely un- unaltered documentary photographs. Uh, and collage art has a, a pretty rich history throughout the Soviet Union as well. Uh, and, you know, the, a lot of the propaganda was transmitted through collage. Isn't that right? Absolutely. But actually, it went both ways. Mm. You know, something that mm. is not very much discussed right now, but again, for understandable reasons, there are very acute problems happening, is the Bauhaus movement and just how many artists um, ended up in exile from, from that school alone, you know, in the right. 30s and 40s when it was shut down by the Nazi and how that right. tradition continued, you know, from Chicago to the Netherlands uh, and so forth, right? But collage was actually highly coveted and frequently employed. One of my heroes, artistic heroes, Hannah Hoch, and I love her mm-hmm. piece called Cut with a Kitchen Knife, which is political collage, you know, and so (laughs) collage in time of chaos is nothing new. And that's kind of how I feel right now. Right. And I just saw you posted a collage piece. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I uh, did. Not too long ago. That's actually in preparation for that talk. So it's interesting (laughs) that you bring it up. You know, I am. Yeah, I'm an open book, really. This was this was my thinking this morning. And I thought, yeah, I had this piece from San Francisco from 2020 when. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's and it's quite nice. It's uh, beautiful and really well done. Thank you. And then, you know, so it's beauty with a twist, (laughs) if I may. Um, Well, yeah. uh, Yeah. And and you told you do talk about beauty and I, I've um, I've been thinking a lot about the word beauty in art too and and not not the idea of like dismissing it but the idea of of its value in terms of um, whether it's assigning a, a morality or whether it's a, a, a powerful tool and I think you use it as a powerful tool and you know when we talk about the book I, I wanted to ask you about that as well yeah interesting you bring it up it is an important concept for me and it felt almost rebellious to be using it so explicitly um, the images are meant to be mm-hmm. beautiful at least at the at first glance um, and then you see the layers right. of usually you know darkness and sometimes satire yeah but it, it's certainly right. there on the facade level yeah, well, let, actually, let, let's just talk about it. I mean, the book Flood Zone, by the way, 
Uh, I guess uh, props to to Steidel. Uh, it's printed beautifully. Uh, speaking of beauty, they're they're almost full bleed plates uh, for the most part. Um, I mean, there are some spreads that are full bleed, but but the the plates are are big. They fill the page, the color, the the printing. It's really really a beautiful book in those terms. But then it's also about this very tragic thing that's happening. And I know David David Campany uh, writes a, a really uh, incredible descriptive sketch of Miami in the book. And he talks about seduction uh, and contradiction. And I think that that goes along with this. Uh, yeah, goes along with this, this conversation about how it is important, I think, that people do get a little bit seduced into looking at work as a way of creating a message, right? As a way of communicating. Yeah, David Campany also edited the book, so the pairings are oh, okay. um, collaborative be- between us, mm-hmm. uh, which it was a tremendous help because it was my first, you know, real book. I've done some self-published and indie-published projects prior to that, but this was my first, you know, real grown-up and <laughs> also photographic um, <laughs> book. Well, congrats, because uh, I mean, you, you hit it out of the park. <laughs> I mean, I'm shocked myself that Steidel agreed to my proposal. <laughs> but, um, kudos to Steidel for seeing something there. Yes. And I think he, yeah. hopefully, you know, he saw uh, this this new approach to the subject that's quite stigmatized now, you know, environmental or ecological Mm -hmm. art, just like the issue became politically divisive somehow. And it really, um, it's really unnecessary, I believe. And I'm trying to communicate that with my work. The aim is to to unite people in this action rather than divide further by mm-hmm. bombarding them with images of suffering, you know, and despair. And the project is less so about some kind of didactic documentation of what climate change looks like, but more of a, mm-hmm. a poetic transcription of my own feelings of climate anxiety that's shared by so many locals. And the, uh, you know, the subject of um, seduction that you bring up, of course, Florida, uh, you know, Miami specifically owes so much right. to its, of its existence to, you know, this idealized images of itself. So there's no escaping that kind mm-hmm. of sheen and appeal that was created by usually photographic images, you know, from the early postcards to what's going on now with those enormous fantasy-looking hmm. renderings of the future buildings, just as, you know, right. downtown specifically is drowning. So it's about these contradictory actions and very conflicted feelings, and yet the acknowledgement of, of the beauty uh, of this place. I often find quite a bit of... Um, tragedy in, in beauty. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, your a good deal of your photos in the book are post-storm, post-natural uh, disaster, but not in a way. So I think what we're used to seeing when it comes to journalism and photojournalism is, is kind of the extremes of disaster and suffering after an event. And these photos are more contemplative, right? You, you call them poetic. And so they're they're not that style of photojournalism, which I think is also necessary, in which we're, we're looking at them and immediately being hit in the face with disaster. In some ways, there's sometimes just clues that something has happened. In other ways, it's, it's very obvious. 
But I think what that allows for is real thought about both the seductiveness and beauty and that contradiction of that this place is sinking into the sea, basically. Yeah, it is to acknowledge the crisis while not spiraling into defeatism. Mm. That is important for me as a viewer and as somebody who, again, who's always, if not critical, then analytical of all the images that I see mm-hmm. and how they affect my psyche because they almost always have an agenda, right? Unless they're robotic right. images. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then as an artist, I, I don't even fully relate to the word and maybe that's my soviet roots i guess that's inevitable rochenko mm. talked about it too alexander rochenko and varvara stepanova mm-hmm. where they saw an artist as a cultural worker and what are the goals and this is very mm. much shared by the bauhaus so constructivism bauhaus there's so many parallel um, notions in their approach but yeah so cultural worker what, what are my goals one of my favorite writers is Rebecca Solnit, and her new book is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's called Not Too Late. And I fully relate to her sentiment there. Actually, if I may quote from the book. Sure, please. She says, speaking of consciousness, the main job is not to convince climate deniers and the indifferent, and there are a lot fewer in either of those categories than there were a decade ago, but it's to engage and inspire those who care, but who don't see that they can and should have an active role in this movement, who don't see that what we mm-hmm. do matters, that it's not too late, and we are making epic decisions now. So yeah. climate hope is <laughs> the subject of my next no, project, yeah. which is, you know, is, it will be a chapter in this ongoing body of work. You know, there's Flood Zone, there's also Florida's, hmm. the book that I published last year, also with Steidl, right. that has this environmental thread, you know, throughout the, the book. But there are wider scopes of um, issues that I'm addressing in, in that book. And even in this mm-hmm. most recent project and uh, publication called Image Cities, where I'm addressing how essentially consumption can't go on as usual. One of the things I was referring to when I was talking about the these sort of e- extremes of disaster and suffering that we see more in um, traditional photojournalism is that while sometimes that shock to the system is necessary, it can also make us feel like there's nothing we can do, that it's too big for us. Um, and so that's where I think so w- the work you're doing kind of fits into that idea of, of also providing hope or presenting things in a way where we can sort of enter the work and feel like, oh, maybe there is something we can do as well and contribute. Yes, I wanted to show um, very much an everyday person's perception, you know, perspective mm-hmm. of how it feels to live in this changing climate and also make it very relatable to where people can potentially Mm -hmm. um, place themselves in these environments that I'm documenting and imagine it very clearly what it would Mm -hmm. feel like when it gets to them, you know, because we know that it's distributed disproportionately right now, those, those effects, but it will affect everybody. Well, and I think you show some of that in the book that while the resources of a neighborhood can affect the recovery of our neighborhood. In general, nature doesn't discriminate. <laughs> Regardless of socioeconomic status, climate change is going to impact everybody. 
Yes, absolutely. It's just, uh, of course, it's a matter of, yeah, those resources being put to restoration of somebody's only home, you know, for multiple right. generations in one family versus, you know, another thing that I, I saw, which was to become my fire zone project. Again, part of this long body mm. of work is those destroyed homes in Malibu. And it was mm -hmm. horrifying to see that even with this kind of um, funding, you know, now I think they're trying to implement privatized fire crews. Oh, yes, I've heard that's, that's right. That's right. And, and of course, neighborhoods uh, with wealth and resources can have their own private fire crews, right? Yeah. So this is where, yeah, we're talking yeah. again about this disproportionate yeah, consequences. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned um, that you see this work as documentary, but you may not think yourself fully as a documentary uh, photographer or an artist or <laughs> um, some, something in between. Do you see yourself as an activist? That's a good question. Yes, in a sense where our attention is currency now. And so my mm -hmm. activism is in directing that attention towards the issues that matter, I believe. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I am. I would accomplish more through this means than I would standing in one specific spot with a poster. And I fully endorse protests and there's need mm -hmm. for those. In my case, you know, I try to do both, but I know that my audience can be, you know, this international audience. And it's just proven true with my books and, and my exhibitions. So that's where my activism is. Apart from uh, some tangible contributions to the cause through my prints, right? You know, we um, we moved right into the book, and and we we were talking about your your grandfather as well. And you also studied environmental design while you were still in Russia, and that led to you then getting an MFA at Bradley University in in Illinois. When you were studying environmental design, and I, th I think I read this, it, photography wasn't going to be your practice, right? No, absolutely. I was aiming for sustainable architecture, and my thesis project was um, quite progressive. I mean, 2007, mm. it was um, a reconstruction, well, essentially a repurposing of a defunct uh, streetcar depot into a youth cultural center with available materials sourced from the site. And then it got oh, wow. converted into a luxury outdoor food mall instead. You know, so this is where oh, I wow. learned it the hard <laughs> way that I possibly have no future as a sustainable architect. Uh -huh. um, but I had to get a camera and photograph models of my proposals. So everything was handmade, mm. three-dimensional. And I discovered the power of photography to alter our sense of scale and create a you know, realistic image out of you know this um, construct. So the idea between construct and reality and its transformation through photography is something that's been with me this entire time, you know, for a couple of decades now as a young artist <laughs> now, you know, in, mm -hmm. in my more, I guess, established work. Suffering that kind of disappointment in you know, your, the work you were doing, but then also realizing the power of photography. Uh, is that when you decide to move to the United States to pursue your MFA? Yes. I thought I could communicate um, the same 
ideas through the medium that has much broader and yeah, much broader reach as opposed to a singular building, you know, the mm-hmm. images due to their mechanical reproduction ability, right? That they, they can't travel very far. And so if I could accomplish, you know, basically using my image as a platform for dialogue is what I try to accomplish in my work. Mm-hmm. So it's either through exhibitions or through publications. This is how it gets done in my case. Yeah. Also, in, you know, in terms of pursuing an MFA here, why the United States? Why not, you know, Western Europe or I mean, how did you sort of pick Bradley University in Illinois. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, two parts to that answer, <laughs> to my answer in this case. All right. So speaking of the image, right, the land of the free, that still had major appeal. Uh, when I attempted mm-hmm. street photography as a teenager in Moscow, I remember being stopped by a guard mm. and made um, erase images from my early digital oh, camera yeah. it was five megapixels you know uh so he, mm-hmm. he, he reviewed them and made me erase them that ended my street photography pursuits um oh. and i switched to yeah environmental um design and then oh, sort of actually re- that's interesting yeah. you you had an interest in photography er- pretty early on then mm-hmm. observational photography and that got cut short yeah and so then i approached it from studio methods and then okay. I still had some landscape images and then my constructs in the studio. That was part of my portfolio. And the reason for Illinois, you know, there's it's actually a very practical reason. Not <laughs> everybody can afford to go to Yale <laughs> or Royal College uh-huh. of Arts, you know. So whenever I see people talking about diversity and representation in institutions, yeah, there's one layer that needs to be looked at a bit closer, mm-hmm. you know, which is cost, uh, cost yes. of those programs. And when you, you know, a majority oh, yeah. of institutions biannual is comprised of people graduating from Ivy League. This is where, um, mm-hmm. right. So the, the reason is that's why, you know, because it was free for me. Uh, I got an assistantship. It was so my education was fully covered. And I somewhat knew what I wanted to do and I've experimented with, it was always environmentally um, focused, my Mm. my work. Um, So it was anywhere from industrial agriculture to destruction of um, native land in Illinois. It was only 1% of it left. Everything was converted to um, industrial scale farms. And Mm -hmm. so those were the projects. And then it just, it followed from there. Right. So I know you said it was it was painful to talk about Russia, and, and I don't want to cause you any more pain. Uh, would, would you mind telling me where that early interest in photography came from and what your, your parents did for a living? And if it came from something connected to your family? Yeah, uh, yes and no, I guess. You know, like art affects things indirectly. There's a ripple effect, I believe, that happens with mm. um, exposure to visual material, you know, conversations. So activism in this case is indirect, but it is effective. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. The same with my influences. You know, they continue to be from sources other than photography, actually, predominantly. So my my mother taught literature, Russian literature. She was a teacher in my school, so elementary, middle, and high school. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was a teacher. And um, <laughs> my my stepdad was uh, a driver, so it's a it's a Jewish family, you know. So we kind of combined both traditions. That was fun. And um, my grandfather was a writer. 
uh, so he was oh, a journalist. Wow. Yeah, I, oh, I of course. sadly you haven't journalism. met right. him though because he died before I was born. But he had a strong oh, presence okay. in the family and apparently in the community too. I was born in the south actually. But then I grew up in Moscow because I moved there as a child. So he has a strong presence in the community mm. where when my, my mother visited, apparently they had a lot of people recognized him and the photograph that she used, you know, to um, on some, some community festival. <laughs> Anyways, so mm-hmm. I th- it, it comes from there. You know, he did investigative reporting and then journalism. And then my mother was um, a Russian literature teacher. Uh, very inspiring lecturer. Yeah, and... Just a little side note. Uh, what was it like having your mother as a teacher in your school? It was too much. It was too much. It was too much supervision. You know. So I think my discipline comes from that. I was never invisible. You know. <laughs> right. It was always right. this watchful eye over me. Oh yeah. Well, the discipline worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. You know, there's, there's one, one thing I, w- I wanted to mention is, um, you know, the work, my work is focused on places. Yes, environmental issues, but places. And I wonder if that has to mm-hmm. do with my own somewhat displacement. But I already felt to an extent displaced when I was growing up in Russia, you know, and then mm. art was an escape for me. And artistic community uh, early on provided the like-minded people so mm-hmm. i i feel like i i dodged a lot of issues <laughs> around me staying in that bubble of other artists and humanities of people community, yeah right? so that community has always been with me yeah. it's, it's sort of an escape you know and i never felt quite you know a sense of belonging in in russia and in moscow and mm-hmm. nor do i really feel it in florida and people often ask why i'm still you know in Florida, hmm. why was I in Illinois? Those were unusual yeah. choices. They had practical reasons behind yeah. them. But because of this community <laughs> of like-minded artists, you know, and what better than art can really unite us like this? Right. And it was a residency that brought you to Miami uh, back in 2016. And was there something then about Miami that you thought that would be a, a, a kind of creative or productive place to work? Or was it you know, the, the residency happened to be in Miami. Do you know what I mean? Was was there a draw to that you knew you wanted to be there or was it the residency that sort of drew you there? Yes, there were a number of factors. Um, it was a lifelong dream to live by the water. There mm. were very early memories. I was 14 and I remember what now is called manifesting, but I remember uh, clearly manifesting <laughs> on a very occasional, it was a, a, a trip to the sea, you know, that wasn't a given that mm. I made that wish <laughs> so but uh, the more again pragmatic, was that the black sea it was the black sea actually yeah, yeah. um that was in sochi so i manifested that ocean <laughs> um in miami <laughs> I, I kept applying to that artist residency it wasn't immediate that i got it so it provided a free studio in mm. miami beach for two years and mm-hmm. many other opportunities including you know studio visits from some fantastic people in the arts um the community and uh, public art commission opportunities and so forth. So I thought I would be pursuing, you know, I would continue my studio practice and I'd be painting and making collages. So I would go out to photograph to um, gather some material, some photographic material for my collages Mm -hmm. that I'm still doing. 
But I realized that Miami was like a life scale collage. So I didn't have to uh, make <laughs> further assemblages in the studio. I could just use a telephoto lens and flatten the space through that hmm. and um, have right. my collage ready. So in that way, Miami was transformative for, for my practice. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you, you still feel a little displaced and, and not necessarily connected to Florida. But I, I know in my own experience, I also had, I also experienced this idea of not feeling connected to a place. Uh, I've lived in Florida. I've lived in New York. I've, I've lived in New Jersey. And once I had a family, I was determined to at least give them <laughs> mm. a sense of place and connected it to place by stopping, you know, this uh, moving around uh, all the time. Uh, and so I had to kind of like hold that that impulse in. I had to reel that impulse back. You have a family now. Do you do you experience that as well? Do you think, okay, I have to I have to make sure they feel connected to a place? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, nobody ever asks me that. <laughs> Interesting that, yeah, you bring that up. It's it's on the one hand, it's obvious, but at the same time, yeah, I'm the nomadic one in this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, me too. It's a bit yes, of a so am I. Struggle. <laughs> um, yes. But it helps actually. Speaking of, since you asked about my parents, my mom called me and she did some DNA mm. um, search. She's like, oh, we come from Basques and also Mongolians. I'm like, oh, that that explains oh, that. Sure, then. <laughs> of course. So, yes. The one nation, you know, the one nation that colonized Russia, Mongolians. Right. Uh, right. That explains some things. Maybe it's in the, in the genes, this nomadic sure. um, impulse. Um, I also have Russian Jewish heritage. So oh, great. Maybe there's a little <laughs> yeah. of that in me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an explosive combo when it comes to geographic you know, stability. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but, um, We'll see how it goes. Um, my son, mm -hmm. the conversation on climate change, since the term itself has been released from its ban on the government level in Florida, mm -hmm. you know, now we have new ones. Now you can't say gay, so that's right. new. But at least right. you can you're say a, climate. I know it's bizarre. Right, it's you're you're just, in one of the. I'll say this: uh, you're in one of the most interesting states of the union. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah, that's why yes. I did this entire book called Florida's mm -hmm. Multiple Florida, right. because yeah, I certainly live in a bubble again, somewhat bluish bubble of Miami. But mm -hmm. yeah, no, um, no such consistency throughout the state. It is quite eclectic, uh, very expressive. Right. So I'm not sure. He they talk about climate change and he thinks he should live in the mountains. And I told him my California mm. story when I went to photograph new <laughs> development in the canyons. I'm like, oh, you may want to choose right. the mountains. So I'm not certain yet how it will all play out. But um, mm -hmm. it's it's really it's really hard to put your roots down um, in a place where the soil is sand and again i'm watching this puddle growing out of my window and it's a saltwater puddle from this foundation of this right. hotel so um, there's no certainty yeah uh, yeah are, are you uh, now connected by work and jobs and, and things like that i'm a full-time artist which is what i've wanted my entire life and i have quite a bit mm. of representation in europe as well right which happened miraculously Honestly, I think it's because <laughs> of the books, the travel and publications. 
Um, well, so let's, I, wait, wait. <laughs> saying, that, <laughs> saying that you have fantastic representation throughout Europe because of your work is not, <laughs> is not a, a surprise or a, a reason to be uh, suspicious. <laughs> oh, I guess it's, it, I think it, it's a reason it for congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It, you know, I never, I, I can't, I don't take it for granted at all. And it still surprises sure, me sure. that there's this much interest because both of my books, I mean, the recent books, The Flood Zone is predominantly Florida, even though it's four states and then Florida's is all Florida and that's currently showing in Berlin, mm-hmm. you know, this big exhibition, um, that there's such an interest in, in that work. Right. Less so than, you that's know, right. there are more exhibitions that are in <laughs> Europe with it in the States, I think. Well, I don't think that's unusual. I think when you're you're dealing with difficult topics, it's politically and maybe sometimes socially more difficult to deal with that at home. And I think there's interest in what happens here because it does have ripple effects around the world. And Florida is a bit of a hot spot for political, social, and environmental instability right now. And it could be seen as a barometer for what might be happening in the rest of the country, as frightening as that sounds. That's true. Yeah. And Florida has a particular weight right now. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's quite charged as a topic you know, with the right representatives coming out of florida and sort of looming over us in the in the upcoming elections so that is a bit scary yeah and yeah that's why i think that the degree of um detachment in europe probably helps although i can't complain there will be an exhibition of florida's next year in new york oh good and the flood zone has been touring around oh, that's great uh, quite a bit though they will come to Baltimore next year. Mm-hmm. So it's been shown. Oh, will you be visiting New York when the exhibition comes to New York? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, great. Well, I will keep an eye on it and I'll come say hello. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you say it, it already went to Baltimore or it's coming to Baltimore? Flood Zone. Uh, no, Flood Zone will come to Baltimore and will probably continue as I'm adding to it all the time. So I'm actually shooting mm-hmm. new material whenever I can. And Florida's will go to New York. So I have these three bodies of work now that are moving yeah. around independent of me, which is amazing. <laughs> oh, great. Thank All you. Right. Well, good. <laughs> and I'm looking, you know, try to be conscientious with my travel. So the Image Cities project was actually mainly accessible. You know, most of those locations mm-hmm. were accessible by train, and that's what I used. Yeah. Right. Well, good luck with the uh, the storytelling summit and... Uh, again, that's April 29th in San Francisco. And thank you again for taking time to, to do this. I know you must be quite busy right now with everything going on and getting ready for the summit. Uh, and, and it was a, a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Some great questions. And I, 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 had, a, I had a really good time. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chovendalton. Music by Matteo Chovendalton. You can find bonus content from the show on our YouTube channel. Just search for Real Photo Show. The podcast can be found on all your favorite podcast players. And please rate the show with all the stars available on your preferred player. 